I'm with Robert Del Tradeshi, who has worked in a lot of areas and continues to uh, draw and create, but uh, has worked particularly on the impact of nuclear war and also on the uh, arms race, uh, not just in these last years, but over many decades. One project that you worked on, we're seeing it right now in front of me, <laughs> at work in the fields of the bomb. This is a book that you worked on as a photographer. But I know you, of course, as a, as a teacher at Concordia right. looking at animation. animation. But I remember in that class you really focused on... Hiroshima. Yeah. And so, so why this urgent urgency for you to continue to address the issue of, of nuclear weapons and war. Um, it's something that we think about, but it's not always in the news today. It certainly isn't. Yeah. But it will never go away. And ever since it uh, was born in 1945, it changed everything. And as Albert Einstein said, <laughs> the unleashed power of the atom has changed everything except our mode of thinking and therefore we drift towards unparalleled catastrophe in other words we don't know how to think about this force that we have managed to tickle out of uh, the very s basic building blocks of matter it's the kind of energy that uh, you don't see on planet earth you see it in exploding stars but you don't see it on earth and then we brought it to earth and it, it has many qualities one of them is it's profoundly addictive it's such a powerful thing. If you can hold this in your hand, it's, it reminds me of the, like the ring of power, you know, with the Lord of the Rings. The more you use sure. it, the more, the more you get addicted to it, and it's very powerful. So nuclear weapons are like that. So although it's not in the news uh, on any kind of regular basis, it, it never quite goes away. Mm -hmm. And uh, so somehow I just connected with it. Uh, on the level of what it is, and um, I couldn't let it go. Well, your your work, I mean, focus. I mean, I, I see just briefly in this book, and also in general, um, whether it's through photography or animators that you have have taught about in your class, but also met with yeah. uh, and connected with, is the different ways that people are have used their voice in this moment, but also in the last decades to speak out against. The oh, impacts of, oh, I don't know so many artists who do that, but yes, there are. I founded this group called the Atomic Photographers Guild. About 40 people in it now. Just photographers who have, like me, been uh, drawn into the charmed circle of the bomb and can't let go of it, and it won't let go of them, and they photograph it. So there's quite a variety of passionate people who are trying to make uh, make it visible, more visible than it is, because it's basically invisible. We know how to talk about it a bit, but we don't really have a feeling for it uh, in, in uh, gritty reality. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that I was interested in nuclear war, but I m was more interested in the mass production of nuclear weapons, you know, and that's the Cold War, of course, but but what, how many factories are there? What, what, what goes into making a bomb? What, wow. You know, there are 12 factories in the United States, and uh, it's the bomb grit that I, I, I was interested in. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. 
Well, can you expand on that more? Bomb, bomb grits. Yeah, the, the grit. mass manufacturing and nuclear mass weapons. production. Yeah. Well, you know, we got the height of the Cold War. The United States had twenty-five thousand nuclear weapons, hydrogen bombs, much more powerful than the atomic bomb that fell on Hiroshima. Um, the grit. Well, here's the deal. Uranium is the mother element of all nuclear technologies. Everything comes out of this metal called uranium, and it, it appears in the ground like a black rock, and they crush it, and they put it through processes, they refine it, they purify it, and then they um, turn it into um, fuel for reactors and uh, fuel for bombs. And, but the deal is this, that this is, it's radioactive material, and whatever that means, it's dangerous, it's exploding on an atomic level all the time, continually exploding, and it, and it lasts virtually forever, okay? The half-life of uranium is four and a half billion years, okay? And then it transforms, it's a shape-shifting element, it transforms into, just, you just let it sit there all by itself, it will change over time into a dozen different elements. Uh, thorium, uh, radon, uh, all kinds of things, and each one has its own half-life, wow. and 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 so that's why we, we we latched onto this technology that we don't even have the mindset to think about. So even to this day, people don't know what to do with yeah. the leftovers, with the waste yeah. from uh, generating nuclear energy. You know, in a power plant, they they split the uranium atoms. And that gives off energy, yeah. but it leaves behind these broken atoms, which are themselves radioactive in different ways, and that's called high-level nuclear waste, and it lasts hundreds of thousands of years, and they don't know what to do with it, and they still don't know what to do with it. They'll tell you we know what to do with it, but they don't know. Well, some even Democratic presidential candidates in the current election run in the United States, including Cory Booker, have like consistently spoken in support of nuclear energy as a yeah. clean and safe uh, energy. It's such a crock. It's a total crock. It's not clean or safe on either end of, this, of the spectrum. To dig up the uranium and process it, it's very uh, energy intensive and not clean energy either. Uh, and then uh, to get rid of the, the leftovers, the wastes, um, not clean at all. It's they don't know what to do with it. You got high level waste, you got low level waste, and it's yeah. it's all just sitting around. There's no such thing as disposing of it. You can't dispose of it. You can move it around, <laughs> you can repackage it, but you cannot get rid of it. I don't call that clean. And these are also like the byproducts are sort of chemical elements and also reaction between elements that don't exist naturally on Earth. That's the radioactive ones. Yeah. There are the, chem the chemical ones. They're chemically toxic, yeah. but they're also radioactive. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Wow. Um, but when it comes to the human costs or the danger of nuclear, the mass production or the industrial production of nuclear weapons and also the impacts of nuclear war... I remember I took your class at Concordia, the focus you had on the human impacts of war when you really focused on the voices of uh, Japanese artists, um, whether people who directly experienced the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima, Hiroshima or Nagasaki, 
or people you know who who lived in the context of Japan where this is you know very um, continually present in the cultural landscape, whether overtly or non overtly. Right, um, non overtly is the important. Part. So so so. Why was it important for you to highlight these voices? I mean, your your thing, your 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 class. It's about film animation, but there's a significant part about. Well, what is animation about? Animation sure. is about anything and everything. <laughs> I mean, the point is what I was trying yeah. to establish in the course. Something Windsor Mackay said very early on: it doesn't always have to be funny. Mm. Now, now, it starts out being funny. But it, you can approach it, he says, a uh, uh, hundred different ways. So I'm, I, I, whenever I get a chance, I like to show animation that isn't uh, funny. Yeah, It can be profound. It's a great art form. Uh, but it comes out of uh, comic books and, and all that cartoonality. That's its birth. But, but <laughs> very soon it, it, it began to reveal all sorts of aspects and plus, in the animation course, I think the Japanese experience of nuclear weapons uh, is at the foundation of anime. Like a lot of it, not all of it, but the, all the kind of weird, malevolent stuff, all the shape-shifting, supernatural stuff, all the terror, all that. I, I see it coming right out of the, the experience of the bomb, but not directly. But it's like a generation removed. Sure, but that trauma, uh, you know, that has an impact in the in the zeitgeist, you know, the, the psyche of the race, in a way that we don't have that experience. We have no idea what that's like or what war is like. Um, but but um, that experience changed a lot, and it, it, it shifted. You know, it's like um, the photographer Matsushige is his name who was in Hiroshima the day the bomb exploded, and he's a photographer, but he couldn't take more than five photographs, that's it. And he just said, I quit. <laughs> he had two rolls of film. He could have taken 24 pictures, and he just couldn't press a shutter. Couldn't do it. So I've got the five pictures there in the book. Wow. Right, they're pretty ordinary, though, just sort of people huddling together and looking a little bit dazed. And he said he couldn't do more than that. But uh, Yeah, mm. well, you were talking about the Japanese experience and and the way that that impacts cultural voice yeah 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 it overwhelmed uh so many people they don't know what to make of it it's just too big and and out of the blue as it were literally i find it's uh you know you think of a film like akira you know uh, all the, the horrors and the transmutations and the giant uh bubbles of uh h bombs going off um, but it, you can follow it right down the line. Uh, Evangelion. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can't explain it any other way, except that it's coming out of that transformative experience. Uh-huh. Um, in your in your discussions about animation and art in general, I mean, it could apply in the context of animation but it could also apply in the context of art or scientific exploration um, in terms of what you said about um, to be aware of your uh, existence in this world or to be alive in the world and to think actively about whether it whatever the experience is you know Um, I don't remember exactly the phrase you use but that sort of awareness about the systems at play 
the systems of power, uh, systems of violence, um, also joy on, on planet Earth, um, that the way that art can sort of communicate in a very uh, meaningful way the urgency of life and the beauty of life. Um, uh, in this moment when so many people are um, following, whether it's political drama or personal drama, a lot of people are really stuck to screens. Um, we still are on planet Earth. It's a miracle in a lot of ways. Um, what role do you think art continues to play and uh, what role do you think artists should play in sort of continuing to press for that broader awakened perspective? Well, you said it right there. I think art, the purpose of a really great art is to wake people up. You know, it's not exactly a political agenda, but we are like zombies, you know, and we don't know it. In Buddha, that, that's the meaning of the word Buddha, is the awakened one. He woke up, whatever that means. Um, but a part of uh, that is that I think I've always felt very strongly the job of art is to mirror back what's going on. Okay. It's not an agenda. It's not how to improve your life or change your bad habits. It's just a mirror back. Mm. and Because people, they're not good at seeing what they're up to and how their mind works and all that. So that, to me, that's more than enough. If you can really show what it's like in a way that everybody who sees it gets it. It's like, oh, yeah, right, yeah, oh, really? <laughs> to me, that's huge. So I don't, I don't like art that tries to tell me how to improve myself, but I love art that reveals the way things are in a way that I haven't noticed. Mm -hmm. And to me, all the, all the good art is mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think that uh, ever changed to me, uh, you know, from cave art on up. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's, what I, that's what's going on. You're an artist and an educator. Um, that, I'm sure, in, entails a lot of balance and <laughs> juggling of different things. But for you, like, uh, as, as an artist, how has being an educator been important for you uh, in terms of your practice? Well, the other thing about art is that its job is to communicate, yeah. right? Yeah. If people don't get it, well, that often happens that great art people don't get, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, but you want people to get it. You're there, how about that, you know? And, and uh, so I think teaching is very much like that. Same thing. In this case, I'm teaching art, you know, the yeah. art of animation. Um, but you can't help it's uh, nobody's going to teach a course like that the same way you know sure people pick things that have meaning to them and you know in my case it would be I would hope it would have meaning to everybody and I look for things that break the mold the stretch you know the limits of what you think um, to me they're pretty close mm-hmm but there's actually no connection to speak of between an animated animation and the bomb. You know, they're two. How come I'm doing both of those things? And I, I don't really have a quick answer to that. Well, it seems like what I really appreciated about hearing you address that was the way that, like, some of the issues of our time were in 2019 are. I mean, there's many issues, but 
one is the survival of a habitable planet, right? Yeah, and that right. obviously is very connected to past generations. And it's incredible to see what was Greenpeace doing in the 1970s or the anti-war movement even before that in bringing attention to the catastrophic impacts of war and also the, the the byproducts of war on the environment and also of course how it affects communities and human beings um i guess it's interesting to hear from you in terms of hearing between generations how people have continually campaigned on these issues and not given up right yeah, yeah that's right yeah so what do you make of where we are at now in terms of like the calls for nuclear disarmament or in the environmental justice movement we're doomed. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. That's how you feel? That's, I'm looking around. Yeah. I mean, I hope spring's eternal, but uh, we're doomed. <laughs> That's what I think. How are we going to get out of it? I mean, we've, it's, we've had a billion chances to establish that we really mean business, and we haven't done a thing. There are plenty of people who are doing a lot of things, but... Um, I hope we're not doomed, but it would be dishonest for me not to express it. That's a real feeling that I have in a way that I haven't had before. You know, I didn't feel we were doomed with the Vietnam War or uh, even the Cold War. I mean, we came pretty close to being doomed. But um, it's just a runaway now. I mean, with just the way people are not responding to global warming, including me. I don't know what to do. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see the great ship <laughs> turning around and going in the right direction. I don't, I don't, it's not happening yet. So... Hmm. I noticed in, in interacting with you in the university context was this sort of gentle but there was a push to think about these questions you yeah, know uh, yeah. you know in the classroom and to and to also consider both the the damning possibility but also the voices who are addressing these yeah, issues right. and you were very active in putting those voices forward so you still choose to do that of course what, yeah yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it doesn't look good. Uh-huh. Got you know, it. it does not look good at all. Yeah. Uh, so. You've you've been an anti-war um, artist, I guess. I, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not in favor of war, but I, I don't know if I'm an anti. Not not like Goya, you know. Or uh, uh, there are people who totally dedicate themselves to the war, the horrors of war. Mm-hmm. I think Goya is a wonderful, great, great artist. But um, I, I, I guess this is anti-war. This uh, nuclear stuff—it is very much anti-war. That you worked on this book, yeah, 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 at yeah. work in the fields of the bomb, right, yeah. right. But I tried to get people to just see what what what's in a bomb. How where are the factories? How do the people yeah. who work there feel? How could we do this? That's basically my question: Is how could we have done this? And not only that, but we're still doing it. We're yeah. still doing it. Going full speed ahead. There's so much money now going into nuclear weapons, more than ever before. How can we do that? What is going on? It drives me nuts. Um, but it, it teaches me a kind of patience. Because uh, <laughs> I don't see any alternative except 
being patient and alert and not giving up. I said we're doomed, but but part of me feels that, that, no, you have to keep fighting too because you never know what some action is going to do, positive action. But so many people have given it all the thought they're capable of mustering and still it's like a fizzle, you know. But you don't know, and that is also firmly entrenched in my mind, that the human psyche is a very strange thing. And, uh, you know, you think it, it could, with a little push, it could go this direction, that direction. But, in fact, it's sort of deeply irrational, I think. And uh, and uh, there are, I think, uh, you know, higher powers that want us to succeed, but there are also... Uh, the opposite, you know. So it's up for grabs, and that's that's how I see it. So my question has always been: when I made this book, I thought we were doomed for sure, the Cold War and all that. No, oh, when was this book? Published? Well, nineteen eighty-seven. Oh wow! Came out, okay. and that what was happening then was Ronald Reagan was putting nuclear missiles into Europe, and the Europeans were uh, in an outrage, and they were coming here the Canada and the North Americans and you have any idea what you're doing and they spoke about nuclear weapons in a way that I'd never heard anybody speak before they were there was terror in their voice and also um, you know reflection and lots of knowledge but here it's more like um like a intellectual debate um you know here as Greta Turnberg said global warming is something you believe in or you don't believe in. But, but in her part of the world, it's a fact. It's not a question of, it's not up for yeah. belief. Yeah. So for us, I think nuclear war is kind of in that kind of abstract realm. But um, but I, I wanted to make it real. So to me, it's like a epistemological question. Sure. How much are we capable of knowing about ourselves and about the bomb that we made and about the effects that it has? Sure, and sure. The answer is not very much. So I guess I'm anti-war, and, and it's not exactly anti-war, but it's, it's yeah, it sort of is, yeah, yeah. But it's more about perception. What do you mean? Um... Well, I think perception is at the core of everything. Like how you see things determines an awful lot. I mean, look at look at the current president of the United States. He's constantly shifting and shaping and uh, massaging perceptions, and he's quite very good at it. He's an expert, and that's what I mean, you know. And uh, everybody else is trying to say, no, no, you you got to think about this. You got to think about that. So perceptions are seem to fuel the human psyche. Uh, you know, how you see things depends, uh, determines what you do in large respect, unless you're just down to the bone and trying to survive. Then perceptions maybe play less of a, a role. But when you're more advanced, like we are, perceptions become increasingly more and more important. You know, so I would often wonder, what, what do billionaires think? Why why aren't they helping out, you know? Yeah. What do they? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I don't know what they're thinking. But it's interesting. I'd like to know. 
uh, and there's a, per- a huge perception issue there. Uh, they live on the same planet, but they don't think anything like <laughs> the people that I know and myself. I mean, I know what it means to be greedy, but this is way beyond that. And so it's the same with nuclear weapons. What are they thinking? And uh, I started to get answers when I photographed Paul Tibbetts, the guy who dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. I showed the photograph to a friend of mine. He said, how could you be in the same room with that monster? And I just said, that's why I got the photograph and you didn't. Because <laughs> I'm not there in order to change his mind or to hate him. I just want to know what <laughs> what does he think. What did he say? And whatever his answer is, that's I'm good with that. He said I would do it again. Uh, I, I don't think nuclear weapons uh, should be used, but they, they will be used because we have them. And uh, he's perfectly okay with that. Wow. So that, that was his answer. And I said, okay, thank you very much. I'm not saying, but, 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 you know, I'm not trying to intervene in his thought process. I just want to know what the thoughts are. To me, that's, that's good enough. Yeah. And um, you also, um, in this book, photographed the photos, I guess, were from Hiroshima. Yeah, there's some in there. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, and also, I see some d- civil disobedience actions that took some, place yeah, at yeah. different sites. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Radiation. There's Hiroshima. There's the Marshall Islands. Uh, oh, and you went to the Marshall Islands. I didn't. To I didn't. They came here. That's in oh, Washington. Wow. Yeah. But when I heard they were coming, I made a trip down to yeah, Washington. Yeah, of, of course. But I, I, I was never able to make a trip out to the Marshall Islands. Just didn't have unlimited funds. But I just want to show there. Here, here are the only five photographs that Matsushige took in Hiroshima, and there are no dead people. Although eighty thousand people died immediately. Um, there's not much going on and then here's before that that's the Trinity bombs that was uh, three weeks before July 16th that was in Arizona? and that was in New Mexico New Mexico yeah yeah. so there was that and then there was this and I met both of the people who took those photos those are the first atomic photographers wow I find it incredible that the United States bombed itself to test the first bomb. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Not only that, but this was the first atomic test. And they called Hiroshima the second atomic test. They classified it as a test. Wow. That was changed when when the Hazel O'Leary became director of the Department of Energy. She said, no, it's not a test. And then she engaged the whole machinery to rename it as an actual event rather than a test wow but that's how people think wow um so what are you working on these days i've been corresponding with you a bit and i saw some drawings you've done you were in california oh yeah you continue to yeah. create work and draw well, and paint love is drawing yeah yeah working on that i'm working on currently working on a book on my it's a visual book. It's a picture book on my years in a Catholic seminary. I'm studying to be a priest oh, wow. for eight years, from the age of fourteen. 
and for six years we're we're like being at a very uh, good boys boarding school with an overlay of you know uh, divine power sure so it was very hierarchical and very in, indoctrination you know and then you go to the major seminary which is another six years and uh that got really dark yeah and uh i couldn't take it anymore after after two years i i had to leave uh, so anyway but but along the way there were many many experiences and you, you stay in the same class with with people for eight years you get to know them sure. and a lot of mischief went on you know <laughs> so I, the book is about all of that stuff because i kept a diary Oh wow! And I, I illustrated it with cartoons, wow. doodles, and I also took a lot of photographs. It was my first photographic project, but I never even thought about it. I just took a lot of pictures, and these pictures are now like flies in amber. You know, they're like, wow, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, this, that, and the other. Wow. So I'm putting together a book on oh, that. Wow! Yeah. Wow. Mm. And, well, thanks yeah. for sharing all this. I'm currently working on the new. Uh, Art of Animated Film book. This is a picture I just... If you if you take a... This is The Sorcerer's Apprentice. But you can't use the Disney version yeah. in copyright. But if you redraw it, it's okay. So I redrew. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on it. Is this for a class? Yeah. Okay. Is, I'm going to talk about Mickey's Band concert. I don't know if you remember that one. You do? Yeah. And then, then I'm going to show the Fantasia, where he's also a conductor. But something happened. He Here he tries to... He's a thief. He steals the hat, and he tries to, uh, you know, steal the laws of the universe, and it all comes crashing down. So that's I thought the two next to each other would be very interesting. I've been working on that drawing for a long time. It's awesome. Yeah, I like it. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Okay, appreciate you, it. You asked everything you wanted to ask. Yeah, thank okay. you so much.